There's murder on the dance floor You better not kill the groom DJ, gonna burn this goddamn house right down Oh, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know About your My name is Josh Alvarez. And I'm Lee O'Donnell. And you're listening to episode 184 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks. Yay, we did it. Yeah, we're back. Woohoo. Woo, we're back. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. We've, we've, we've gone on and off schedule so many times that we're not going to bother to get into it. Suffice it to say... I have we been haven't busy. released anything since November. <laughs> yes, yes. We we had so many plans for December that all fell through <laughs> for the most part. And then, um, you know, I've been busy, obviously. Uh, Josh has been busy. Josh has had, you've had like just crazy stuff going on in your life. You oh, yeah. Had. No, it's been rough, dog. It's been rugged and rough. But, you know, we persevere, Liam. That's what we do because we're survivors, baby. I think you know what I'm saying? I, I think people will understand the severity of it when I just say to y'all that I, you know, I feel anxiety when we don't put out episodes, generally speaking, and I still generally feel that. But when it comes to the specific things going on that kept us from recording, I kind of don't feel bad at all. You know what I mean? So, like, when I say that, I think our listeners know it must have been a hard time because normally I'm like, you know, flagellating myself on every episode. Like, I'm so sorry we haven't recorded. It's like, nah, shit was bad. I get it. It's fine. Y'all are fine. You know, we, we somehow, despite whatever's going on in the world, me and Doug still do every week, mostly because Doug forced me to record like three episodes at a time. So he doesn't feel anxiety and stuff. So like, if you need something weekly, you got that. Go listen to that. <laughs> Doug, of a Doug, smorgasbord, great Doug, show. Doug fucking beats himself up to make sure that we put it out regularly. So, you know, good for him. It's it's literally, I want to be clear on that one, has nothing to do with me. Like, he has to wrangle <laughs> me, and it's a real pain. And he'll like he'll be like, we're going to do two episodes this week, and I'll be like, fuck, what? Like, I'm so annoyed. <laughs> it's like, yeah, because he does shit like that, that's the only reason we're weekly on that. There's no way I could be showing up on a regular basis for shit to record so like you'll you see that here where we went a whole month but to be fair we've gone longer than a month before and it was the holiday so i don't feel that yeah. bad about it you know right it is right, it right. is what it is it is what it is yeah no that's true so but you know who didn't stop for the month of december Liam? who who couple people that we'd like to thank right now Oh my gosh! Before we do that, I just want to quick say because oh, okay. that, that was my segue though. That was good, right? No, no, no. You it's very, it's very good. I just want to say before we do that because sometimes we don't say it till much later. This episode we're talking about sex lies of videotape and salt burn. Uh, this is really just a thing you guys we wanted to do sex lies of videotape. I wanted to really because <laughs> I own the own the Blu-ray. I like Steven Soderbergh. I've never seen the movie. I thought this is a good time to do it, and then we've had this plan for a while we had to keep delaying it for all kinds of crises and then we've both seen since then saltburn and josh was like let's let's toss saltburn in there and do like a comparison i thought yo that's not a bad idea let's do that so that's why it's the the double i think it's like an unfair comparison in some ways we were talking about before we started recording because saltburn is kind of like you know pretty good and sex lives of videotape is like a classic so like you know apologies i guess the saltburn because it's like sort of a you know, p- putting two things next to each other, you know, apples and oranges in a way. Yeah. But I still think it'll be a fun conversation. Now, that conversation can only happen because we have some people to thank. 
Yeah, a couple of supporters through the years and months that we don't record. Yes, true, <laughs> true, like true, true. Very true, very true, very true. First and foremost are the people who uh, are our Patreon supporters. Thank you so much for giving your hard-earned money to support a podcast such as ours because, you know, I know it seems like a little thing, like it's a dollar a month or whatever, but dudes and ladies, it's it's the one thing that keeps keeps our lights on, if you will. So thank you so much for for even taking the time to spend your hard-earned money on us. So we really appreciate that. I want to be really clear too. It's not like we're getting like checks from the other people we're about to thank. It's 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 more of a, a formal uh, a, a thing we like to do to acknowledge the support we get from these folks. But like when it comes to actual money that pays for hosting and like we're about to upgrade to a different hosting site so that we have faster runtime for the website and have you know, better, better uploading experiences, all this stuff. And that's going to cost money. That's because of the Patreon. So I want to be clear that y'all are really literally supporting us trying to improve what we do. Uh, and that's not just in us recording or in the other shows recording. It's in all this boring website stuff that like people don't think about when they're doing a creative project, but it's part of the equation. And if it wasn't for people on Patreon, we wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to say to Doug, how much is it going to cost for us to be faster because I want the site to run better than it's running? And mm. we couldn't do that. I couldn't afford to do that without that support. So thank you so much. Of course, we do want to thank our friends over at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. I mean, not Chris Reject, but everyone else there. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I love you, Chris. Yeah, we also want to thank our friend Aaron at Essex Coffee Roasters for being a continual supporter of the Cinepunks cause. Um, if you go and you make an order for some of the finest coffees and teas and maybe even a T-shirt or a sweatshirt, uh, if you put the code C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X in at checkout for a discount, you will get 10% off your entire order. And you'll also send a very clear and... Uh, Direct message that Cinepunks is cool and that Aaron's yep. not messing up by working with us. So yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you to Essex Coffee Roasters. Go to EssexCoffeeRoasters.com and get yourself some coffee. Yeah, please do. I, I think that's really great. And of course, our buddy Sharky over at Mechanical Shark Media, uh, who edited this episode and uh, check out his projects over there. And, you know, I just to give myself a little shine, roughcutfanclub.com. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, we should have up our poll. We're doing a poll uh, to see what we're going to reprint. So uh, people who pay attention to Rough Cut know that we don't do a lot of reprints. It's not really our vibe. We like to to do new stuff as much as we can. But occasionally we put we put it out there. We say, what, what would you guys like to see? Uh, it's a limited list. We didn't want to put everything out we ever made, but we picked a few things uh, to see what people would like to see us do again. So check it out. It should be up by the time this episode is out. If not, it'll be up soon. And we really want your input. So thanks so much for that. That's and also about- straight up, dude, I am so hyped on my Sword of Vengeance shirt. Oh, I can't so even glad. begin to tell you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm so, I'm so excited. I will say thanks to everyone who ordered either the uh, Lady Snowblood or um, Lone Wolf and Cub shirt because that's one of the better. It's not like the biggest we've ever done, but it's one of the biggest we've ever done drops. and. I really appreciate appreciate that support. I know the holidays is a hard time to be spending money on a t-shirt for yourself, even a t-shirt for someone else, right? It's like, yeah. it feels like a luxury item in some ways. Uh, so the fact that we got a good response, it really makes, reminds me that it's worth doing this. Uh, at some point, I'd like us to get even bigger. You know, that's the hope. So please tell your friends about us if you like what Hell we yeah. do. But like, I, I'm really happy with that. And so um, it means that, 
the next couple things we do after the poll might be a little obscure because we're like, ah, we did pretty good on that one. So we could test the waters <laughs> on some other things, but uh, hopefully people appreciate that and they don't find it annoying. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I'm really hyped on that shirt. It's so cool. I didn't get the lady snowblood one cause I already have a lady snowblood shirt, but I appreciate that. I appreciate that. You know, Hey, that was a dope design too. So big up to you guys. Rough cut. So cool. I'm not really surprised that the, the, uh, Lone Wolf and Cub was more popular than Lady Snowblood, but it is what really, it is, you know. Oh yeah, wow, it okay. really was. It really was. I I I just think uh, I think Lone Wolf and Cub it is more known because of the popularity of Shogun Assassin, you know. Yeah, and there are already, from what I've seen, a bunch of Shogun Assassin shirts out there, and there aren't that many Lone Wolf and Cub shirts, which is not to hate on Shogun Assassin shirts. I'm someone who likes Shogun Assassin and Lone Wolf and Cub. Like I like them as almost separate pieces of entities art, you know yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh but there aren't a ton of lone wolf and cub shirts so i i get why that really was more popular with people oh dude it's such a cool design justin put his foot all the way in that thing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so good so good all right so whack it on track oh yeah there it is oh sorry, sorry there it sorry. is no no it's good it's good i think that's the right <laughs> way to do it i think that's better I think that's, I like that new vibe a lot more. Um, it's, it's been, been a whole month, Liam. I, it's I, you been know. so long. I don't even think we could talk about everything. We got to cherry no, pick. No, you just got to choose it. The yeah, best yeah, yeah. stuff to talk about. And I'll be honest, I probably won't even remember stuff I did at the beginning of December. I'm really going to talk about the last like two, three weeks because I don't know. Beginning of December was the beginning of December. Who knows what I did? Yeah, it's, it's, it was it's a lost, minute ago. Yeah, yeah, Lost yeah, yeah. the time at this point. <laughs> so what'd you do lately, Liam, that you've been into that was uh, getting your antennas going that was uh, that left an imprint on you? I'll tell you what. What I haven't done is gone to a lot of shows, so I won't be talking much about that. It's just like there's been some cool shows that I wish I had been able to get to. I just haven't had the chutzpah to get out there, Josh. I, I went to one smaller show uh, that Squint played, uh, at, and mostly I went because it's a – a smaller venue in uh, uh, one of the really close suburbs to Chicago, you know, like right outside Chicago, there's places like Oak Park and Forest Park and whatever. They're kind of like, I don't know. I, I It's hard to describe them. I kind of think of them as like, um, they feel to me like bougie towns that have homeless people in them. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. like they're not fully bougie, but they're more bougie than like, like a lot of the first suburbs outside of Philly are like, worse than parts of philly you know when it comes to like mm. they just aren't they, they can be a little bit rough and these are not rough uh like the way some first suburbs can be but they are very close to the city and they definitely have uh uh maybe a vibe that's a little different than if you were in like like when i think of a bougie suburb in the philadelphia area like doylestown right like doylestown's like kind of a super bougie place right but it's mm. also a far suburb it's not like right up next to the city right this is like right up next to the city and it does have a little bit of a a, a bougie vibe but it isn't like fully that right it's like a mixture and there's a venue that they started doing shows at in forest park that's like a i don't know eagle hall sh- something or other you know like mm. whatever the local equivalent is of vfw so i went to a show because of that but that was a while ago and i had there have been a lot of cool shows since then and were a bunch of cool shows before then that i just didn't make the effort to so apologies to everyone for that <laughs> what i did do was try to catch a lot of newer movies mm. uh because i don't know if you felt this way josh but it feels like as much as any other year 
studios were like, oh, hey, we got to get these movies out before the end of the year so that they are Oscar viable. So I went to see a lot of different things. And so um, I'll probably forget some of them, but I'll I'll try to run through. The first one I'll I'll mention is probably because it's one of my favorites of the year is so it really stuck out in my head. I went and saw that movie Poor Things. Did you see Poor Things? No, not yet. The New Yorkers. Yeah. Oof. Let me let me go ahead and say that is uh, one of my favorites of the year. I didn't do a top ten list. I will say, quick endorsement: we uh, we put together a thing with a bunch of staff at Cinepunks that was just like movies we love that we were worried people might miss out on. For me, when I look at end of the year lists, I realized I was mostly just looking at them to find out what other people liked, and as a way to like look for movies that maybe I had missed out on. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. rather than have everybody submit a bunch of movies and then we do like a rank list or something like that. I figured let's just have people recommend stuff we're worried people might miss out on. So that's up on the site now. Check it out. I didn't put poor things on that list because a lot of people are talking about poor things. So I didn't think it was going to get missed. But I will say if for some reason you've been avoiding it uh, or you just haven't had a chance to see it yet, make the effort. Poor things might be it's at least in my top five of the year if I was going to do a list because I just I loved it. I thought it was really great. Uh, it is a lot more, you know, Yorgos Lanthimos can run between movies that have a clear kind of plot and movies that feel like a nightmare where nothing makes any sense. Right. Right. Like he can right. go either way. This is definitely more on the plot end, but it is surreal. It's in a, a world that is different than our world, but also is weirdly familiar to our world. Uh, it is dealing with a lot of issues around gender and sexuality. It's a bit of a take on a on a Frankenstein story, but it is not the same as Frankenstein. You know, it's kind of it's got its own thing going on. And I found it hilarious and weird and gross and upsetting at times. Um, uh, Emma Stone is unbelievable in it. Uh, I, yeah. I, I also thought Mark Ruffalo was great um Willem Dafoe like just a just an incredible movie so I I can't recommend it enough I'm really glad I saw it uh Uh, other other stuff I saw recently that I I would definitely say check out uh checked out uh May December thought that was really amazing I know that's another that's one that people are kind of back and forth on some people really didn't like it I thought it was really good I definitely took it more as like a a sincere movie that was very comedic and funny, you know, not that mm. dissimilar for me than like a tar, you know, like, okay. If All you're, right. if you're on the vibe, you will find it funny, but it doesn't necessarily have like straight jokes in it. But if mm. you are, if you find yourself laughing, I don't think you're doing something wrong. You know, I think it's supposed <laughs> to be funny. Uh, yeah. In fact, I wouldn't say that's too dissimilar from the movie. One of the movies we're going to be talking about today, Saltburn, yeah. uh, you know, I, I don't think Saltburn is a thriller. It has thrilling moments, but I do think it's a dark comedy overall. Uh, I think that's true of May, December as well. But I also wouldn't say May, December is meant to be camp, you know, in a way mm. that like it's it it is campy in the sense of it's pitched at a very high level of melodrama, but it's not silly. You know, it's played mm. serious in its own way. So anyways, I'd say check it out. Um, what else did I saw? I saw the Iron Claw. I didn't love it as much as some people. I felt like it it kind of dropped the ball a little bit in that it tries to squish so much story into a movie that it doesn't have as much time for character development as I think it needed, but it's Mm. still emotionally compelling. I think, I think I, we were, I was talking about it on discord with people and I'm just annoyed 
by aspects of it. And so it came across like I hated it or something. And I don't mm. hate it. I think it's really good. I think it's really, really good. But I think it would have been honestly better as a series. I think it would have been with the same cast, the same sort of vibe, but with more time to have lo- a longer script, scripted format in, in a series. I think it would have been like perfect. And as it is, it just felt a little rushed to me, which I don't think everyone feels. I think some people felt like it really nailed what it was trying to do. And to me, it just felt a little rushed. And I felt like these characters, like when there's a death of, I mean, there are a million, it's the story of of the Von Erichs. So of course, the whole thing is deaths, right? Like that's Uh their story. But there are a couple of dramatic events in the movie that I think are played a little too fast and loose and i don't think that's because the mo- the filmmakers didn't want to take it seriously i think it just is it doesn't have enough time to to spend mm. on all these tragic events and for me it was not as good as it could be so i think i came across a little more negative because of that because i just felt frustrated like there was more that could happen in the movie and so mm. whatever but i wasn't mad i saw it i thought it was really good how is, how is zach efron in there Amazing. I mean, I think all the performances, I don't think anyone isn't good in the movie. Like, I think everyone is really commendable performance-wise in the movie. Um, Mm. But to me, it's like you have a movie where you took out a whole brother from the story. Like, there's a whole brother (laughs) who isn't in the movie. He's just omitted. And it still felt rushed to me, and I thought that was a problem. But I think that doesn't mean I hated seeing it. I left the movie being like, Oh man, like it really got me. So I don't want to pretend, I don't want to pretend on it. Basically. I was actually speaking to somebody about this movie recently. And the word that they heard was that if the other brother was included, the story would have been just entirely too brutal. (laughs) And just like, it would have been more of a downer. I, I think that's true. But I think the way you balance that is in a longer format, like in a series we see so many moments of their humanity and of their, their power. Like the movie, it's not that the movie doesn't have great wrestling moments. It does, but there's so much tragedy that after a while, for me, it felt like the movie was more tragedy than positive. And I get that, that for people that makes sense because it's such a tragic story, but the tragedy isn't just that bad shit happened to them. It's that they were also really great and bad shit happened. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I just think the the movie is like the distance of the fall, not the fall. And the movie doesn't give us the opportunities to see them loving each other enough. Like we, we believe Mm -hmm. because they're such good performers, we believe that they are, that they love each other as brothers, but we don't Mm. see that the movie doesn't show us as much of that as it could. In my opinion, again, this is just my take on it. I think, I think it's still very much an achievement, but I just think it had the possibility of being better than it is. And that makes me be more negative on it than it deserves. Does that make sense? Mm. Like, yeah, no, it does. It does. It could be so good that I'm being too hard on it. It's certainly still one of the better movies I saw this year. So I don't want to pretend like it's not, you know, so I get it. Uh, a few other things. I saw that movie. Oh, we were going to talk about this. You hated Eileen and I really yeah. liked it. I really, Fair really enough. liked it. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that just a teeny bit. What did you think? Tell me about how you felt about Eileen. I mean, that I remember I saw it during film fest. So it was one of sure, my like yeah. 11 movies in two days thing that I was doing. So I yeah, was yeah, like, yeah, let, yeah. to be clear, I might've been just a little bit overwhelmed with the volume of movies in that sure. like, very yeah, short yeah, amount yeah, of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That said, it struck me as just like, uh, I mean, I thought that the performances were good. It was a narrative issue, I think, with um, 
uh, what's her name? Um, the lawyer. Shit. Oh, uh, 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 Anne Hathaway. <coughs> yeah, Anne Hathaway's character. Oh, well, she's not a lawyer. She's a psychologist. Right. That's yeah, what it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, I mean, I don't know. You know how it is, man. Like, if you worked in psych, any movie that depicts psych stuff is always going to fuck with you. That's exactly that. Like, wait, what are you doing? Like, you're keeping people trapped in a bit. Like, it just seemed, uh-huh. it, it had, like, this very far-fetched thing that got beyond the sensibility of camp to me and moved into, like, a just unrealistic and, like, you know, that's, like, a thing. You know what I mean? Like, you don't do that. And, and like, that's not like a modern take on psychiatry or anything like that. It's just like, oh yeah, that just seems like weird and like not what professionals would do in that situation. I mean, I don't think you're wrong in that, uh-huh. but to me, that's what the movies, I think the thing is, is for me, and maybe this is like different. Cause I think a lot of people are more in your camp of like, this is bad. And yeah. the reason it's bad is because of this shift. But for me, I went in and maybe this was because I read some stuff beforehand or I got a different vibe from the trailer. I went into the movie knowing it was a film noir and that Anne Hathaway was the femme fatale. So when she pulls this move, I thought, oh, here we go. The movie's starting. We're doing the thing Uh, that the movie's about. And so, like, I think that was not what people thought it was going to be. And they were like, like, I definitely got the vibe that people went in thinking this was going to be a version of like Carol. You know, uh-huh. like a like a like a sapphic love story, and I'm like, oh no, one of these people is not good news, and it's it's not the Anne other Hathaway. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's definitely. Yeah, well, Anne I mean, Hathaway. that's the thing. The the Carol comparison I felt was like unfortunate, right? Like because right. yeah, I heard yeah, that yeah, yeah, after yeah, yeah. I'd seen it, and people were like, yeah, it just felt like a weird Carol. Which I mean, Carol I thought was fine. You know, oh, what I, mean? I love like, Carol. I think Carol's great, but it's not the same. It's kind not of movie. this. Yeah, 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 yeah. for sure. I mean, I think that the the comparison's unfair for sure. Other than like the noir esque footmarks in the movie, you know what I mean? Like there is that element of anachronism and demure, like uh, uh, just intrigue. Yeah, well, I just for me, it it was like I really appreciated the darkness of it like i thought that was what i was in for and Mm. so it it fulfilled that and then i think a lot of people felt like the ending was very abrupt and (laughs) i guess i could see that but for me that made sense for what the movie was and it's like Mm. uh, when for me part of what the movie was portraying was a character who was underestimated by everyone around them you know, mm. that was just sort of not seen as a full person. And mm. her response in this really intense, dark scenario is I think that the Anne Hathaway character sees her as not a full person, as sort of an object that she can manipulate and use in this and way to, to her own to achieve to this end. And and I don't think she's insincere. I think she really does think what I'm doing, though obviously not rational, is, is the right th- is is the right thing yeah. because she's so moved by the tragedy of the story, but she doesn't take seriously. Well, the response of this other person is going to be a traumatic response, sort of coming out of their own space of trauma and their own feelings of value. And so at the end, when she just kind of goes off on her own, oh, I guess that's a spoiler. Sorry, y'all. But <laughs> when she goes <laughs> off on her own. 
that didn't surprise me. That felt like it made sense for the character. And it, and I worried yeah. that if it went too far after that, we would move into a kind of romanticism that wouldn't work mm. for the story, in my opinion. You know, it just felt like right, we right, would go right. into something that just didn't make sense. So I, I don't know. I, I, I appreciate that. On the other hand, when, when you didn't like it, I wasn't like this motherfucker. I was like, okay, I get that. You know what I mean? Like, I think yeah. it kind of makes sense that like a lot of people were kind of not ready for what they got. Whereas I was kind of like, mm, delicious. Delicious. Well, and it's, it's a, it's a twist. I don't want to just say it's a noir. It's at, it is at most a neo noir, i.e. a take on the yeah, genre. For sure. And it's certainly a fucked up, kind of view of that but i do think the nuance of the character kind of made sense for me i don't know anyways mm, okay i get it uh I'm trying to think if there's other things i feel like there are other things i want to talk about but that's pretty good i don't want to get into everything i saw per se and mm. i don't know that we're going to do i don't want to promise that we're going to do an end of year thing because i don't know that we're going to do that but uh right. but i do think like that's what i sort of was doing this whole time was like how can i catch things that are from the end of the year uh yeah, so that's about it. I mean, I definitely have watched some uh TV that I've loved, you know. Um pretty sold on Wrexham, you know, the the reality show about the soccer team. I think there's been a lot of pushback from actual football fans who are <laughs> like, oh, this is just a thing that people are whatever, Hollywood, blah, blah. But like it's a compelling show. I'm not gonna pretend like it's not compelling. I'm totally sold on it. It makes me emotional. I like the show, so whatever. It's it's sort of my one of my that and uh, the British Bake Off are my two reality shows. So <laughs> yeah, that's, that's okay. what you're into. I, yeah, yeah, that's it is what it is. It is what it is. So I'm not too hey, worried about it. No shade, no tea. I get it. It's all and, good. Uh, and you know, I uh, I watch all my nerdy stuff. I watched Monarch. You know, the Godzilla show. Thought it was pretty good. Uh, it's not done yet, actually. I think there's one more episode, but it's almost done, and I've mm. I've enjoyed it. Uh, you know, watched. Uh, the what if show thought it was actually oh, yeah. pretty good. Um, you know, it is what it is. I know like everyone is tired of Marvel. Everyone's like, I'm done with Marvel and that's fine. Like I don't, I'm not going to defend Marvel per se, but I do think like some of these weird things here that have been coming out that and Loki season two, I've actually liked more than other Marvel stuff. So, you know, maybe I, maybe I, maybe I'm more into the, the later sort of dying period than I am in the early, but whatever. <laughs> It's fine. Uh, but that's, I you know, but yeah. So I've, I, that's mostly what I've been doing is trying to catch up on stuff. Uh, and then, you know, watching TV with Suze when we've had a chance, you know, but other than that, nothing too exciting uh, the, in, in the whack and on track files. Uh, what's going on with you, Josh? Um, let me see. The last time we talked, did we talk about me playing with Sam? I am for two days. No, you hadn't done it yet. So now, yeah, oh, yeah, I yeah, hear yeah. About it. So we did a weekend with Sam. I am, and it was fun because I was telling everyone I was going on tour with Sam. I am, which you know, not untrue. Um, it was, uh, it was pretty fun though. It was one of those like the first night was in Garwood, New Jersey. So dig this. Let me tell you about a little forty-eight hour period of my life that uh, I hadn't spoken to you since about. All right. Okay. All right. You ready? Yeah. All right. So had to work until uh, five o'clock on the Friday. Right. And then I had to meet up with Bo and we had to go to, um, actually, no, I met up with Melani and we met at the crossroads in Garwood, New Jersey, roughly about an hour and 20 minutes away from here, North Jersey style, like near Cranford, you know? And sure, that's where yeah. we were playing the first night with Sam I am and with Shades Apart. 
and this other a newer band called Last Minute, which were really good too. But uh, it was it was nuts though, right? Like we were like, oh my god, we're gonna do the thing with Sam I Am. Like all of us are huge Sam I Am fans, right? And um, you know, they're one of those Barry and '95 foundational bands for me. You know what I mean? Like just melody and aggression. Like it's a pretty good grit to shine, grit to shine ratio. I love them. And it was like, all right, here we go. And so we did that. And then it was fun. The first night was really fun. I thought we played really well. There was a little bit of unintentional comedy because there's five of us on stage. And um, the stage at Crossroads is not the biggest. So there's a lot of bumping around and stuff, which was apparently really funny to watch. But uh, it was very awkward to perform. But it was cool. And then after that, right, we, we finished and we watched Sam I Am. They're really good. And then it was like maybe 11 o'clock at night or 12 even. And then Bo was like, dudes. We got to go to White Castle. And so I ended up at a White Castle on Route 22 in Somerville, New Jersey at like midnight, right? And um, Bo ate eight sandwiches right in front of me. It was insane. It was me and Melani. And, you know, we haven't been eating all that much, so it was cool. But, like, it was wild to watch. And Yan was with us, Brian Yan, you know, International Man of Mystery. And so there was, like, a lot of, like, just mayhem. And I didn't know that you can put a fish sandwich in the middle of a regular White Castle burger because, you know, that's not a reality in Philadelphia. And uh, it happened. And despite smelling like a corpse, it apparently tasted really good. And Bo ate it, and it was pretty funny. And so, like, I didn't get home till like, 3 in the morning. You understand? Oh, wow. And then I had to be at work at 8. So I slept for like three hours, got up, took a shower, and then like went to work on my bicycle. Or no, I don't know. I think I took the train. Anyway, wait, wait. so I worked until two. And then that night we were playing with Sam I Am in Philadelphia at the Philomoca, which we all know that's already a whole lot of stuff to say, right? Which is fine, which is fine. But at two o'clock when I got out of work, having had three hours of sleep and White Castle the night before, I was like, all right, I'm going to go in on Monday and I'm going to schedule the test for my driving permit, right? Because uh, listeners, I don't know if you know, I haven't had a driver's license for 21 solid years. So it's come to like the point where I need one again. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to just sign up for this test. I'm going to pay the money and then, you know, study and then take the test. Right. But that's when I realized that the DMV in Philadelphia, PennDOT is not open on Mondays. I had no idea. So oh, man. they're, yeah, 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 yeah boy, yeah, yeah. but they're open on Saturdays. So at two o'clock, after only having slept three hours the night before and then having to perform again that night, I went to the DMV. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I was in there. I was like, all right, here's what it is. You know, I'm signing up for the test, so I'm just going to pay for it and then schedule it out. Right. So I paid and I paid the additional money to get the, the motorcycle license because, Liam, if you're going to be a bear, you might as well be a grizzly. Right. So I might as well be a multiple threat kind of person. So I signed up, paid the money. And then the lady who was uh, helping me was like, OK, I got you on computer four. And I said, pardon me, madam, I have yet to read the book and I didn't prepare. I thought I was just going to schedule a test to which she replied, boy, go over to computer four and take this test. And I did. <laughs> and, you know, it was funny. I passed. <laughs> yeah. You can, out of 18 questions, you can get up to three wrong. And I got exactly three wrong and then passed. This is, so I okay. never. You've, you've heard me talk about this. People don't understand this. When I talk to people that the test in Jersey and the test in Pennsylvania are not comparable in any way, that they are entirely different experiences, people don't take that seriously. But here's the reality. You didn't look at a fucking book and you passed the PA nope. test. 
you I passed did. it. And I studied for the Jersey test for months and I failed it <laughs> multiple times. But when I went and took it in PA, I passed it immediately. And I tell people that story and they still think like, well, you must have just fucked up when you took it in Jersey. No, 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 no. They are not the same experience. <laughs> people fail in Jersey. It happens. It's not a rare thing. I get it that when you're a kid and you feel this pressure and you really study in Jersey and you take it and you pass and you think, oh man, I did it. It must be like this everywhere. No, it's not. It's so easy in Pennsylvania. It's beyond easy. Like anyone who's ever been in a car could probably pass the Pennsylvania test just using your common sense, honestly. Yeah, no, it's true. That's what happened. The funnier thing, too, is that um, when I was getting because you have to get a physical in Pennsylvania to get a driver's license, whereas in New Jersey, you do not. Or at least I don't think I I did. But um. When I was getting the physical, I was talking to my doctor about it. I was like, yo, doc, am I going to be sitting next to a bunch of 16-year-olds and, like, trying to, like, cheat off of them on this test? And he was like, honestly, I do a lot of these physicals for this driving uh, test for uh, a lot of Asian immigrants. You should be fine. (laughs) I was like, all right, doc, well played. I got you, man. I got you. So, yeah. So, I I passed the test. I got a driving permit. And then I played that show with Sam I Am. And here's the other thing, right? Like, so Cross Keys is a bunch of weekend warriors, right? Like, we don't get to, like, go out for extended amounts of time. We barely get to play shows multiple times in a week or whatever. We played two nights in a row. And on that second night, every single person that saw us that had seen us before was like, yo, you guys were on fire. And that was the greatest that I've ever seen you. And I was like, my in-ears cut out at song one. I couldn't even hear anything, you know, but apparently we played really well. And I think it's because we got to play two nights in a row. So here's to hoping in 2024, we get to do more of that, you know, but we crushed it and it was pretty fun. Um, it was Sam I am again. We're perfect. It was, it was a pretty great weekend. So that was one of the things that is totally on track for me this weekend or this month, I guess, was that I got a driving permit and I played two shows with Sam I am when we went on tour with them. And then, uh, as far as movies go, at your behest, I, I, we had a day, Liam, yeah. of Japanese movie watching. Oh, yeah. Okay. We double featured on Godzilla Minus One okay. and The Boy and the Heron. Oh, I guess I haven't talked about Godzilla Minus One on here either. But yeah, go ahead. What do yeah. you think of Godzilla Minus One? Yo, I had no... Well, you told me that it might be your movie of the year, which this I think late I, I in think the I, year... I think I a bit overreacted, but I still think it's really good. Yeah, I mean, it was enough to get me there and me and Melani to get in the seat. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, well, yeah. if Liam's saying that this is like a contender for movie of the year this late in the year, then fuck yeah, I'm going to go see it. So we saw that. And my God, what a movie. It's so good. It is really, it's really good. so good. It's one of those movies where you uh, it, it restates the, ma- the majesty of this 11 film franchise at this point that's been going on since like the late 60s, right? Like Toho's been doing them since like the late 60s. Wait, did you say 11? Yeah. Bro, like 80 some movies. What are you talking about? Is this? Th- why did I read 11? Something about like this is the 11th installment. Whoa. I I mean, maybe of this era of Toho getting them back, but like Godzilla movies, there's a, there's so many. I know there's like a a jillion of them. I know that. Like, I mean, especially if you count all the other movies, right? Like that's a thing, but, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, this movie is unimaginably epic. It's so gorgeous. Look, I'm a little, I'm a little more, I will I will admit I'm a little more pulled back on it only because former guest, also co-host of 
Twitch of the Death Nerd podcast and just friend Charles uh, Perks uh, kind of yelled at me over text message about it for a while because he does not like the movie. And his contention is that he thinks the movie is more pro-war than all of us who think it is not that. And he made an argument that I can't totally discount. That being said, if I ignore Charles for a little bit, I fucking love this movie. (laughs) I'm not saying he's wrong. And maybe he does see something that the rest of us are not fully seeing. And I will allow for that as a possibility. Mm. However, I think it's fucking amazing. It is definitely what it is. Definitely. I will say the first Godzilla movie I've seen that I felt anxiety while watching the movie. Right. Mm. I'm scared of Godzilla in this movie. I'm fucking scared. Uh, I think for a movie that costs $15 million, this CGI is way better than it has any right to be. I mm. will admit there might be a couple of rough moments and some people focus on that and that's important to them. Yeah. For me, it was not rough enough to discount the movie in any way, shape or form. Yeah. And I think that the overall, the character work in the movie is really strong, which is not always true. It's not never true in Godzilla movies, but it's not always true in Godzilla movies that the human characters work. And I think in this movie it works. And I think, while I don't want to spoil anything for anyone. There are decisions made about the ending of the movie that I think are a big surprise that I was not expecting this movie to make. And they really worked for me. And I thought this was a much more of a life affirming movie than any other Godzilla Mm. movie that I could think of. And I just was impressed. I was impressed by the movie. It's an impressive movie. It's so epic. It's so exciting. And it has some real stakes to it. And again, that's not to say that funny, fun Godzilla movies are bad. I love those. Those are great. Mm. And it's not to say that it's the only Godzilla movie that has emotional stakes. The first Godzilla movie is a masterpiece and there's no way around Mm. that. Even if you only love silly Godzilla movies, you can't pretend that that first Godzilla movie isn't amazing for what it is. And that's not what Mm. I'm saying, but this is a pretty amazing Godzilla movie. I think. Yeah, no. And uh, again, it's the first one that that's a period piece. You know what I mean? It's the first one that, like, compared to Shin Godzilla, which I know a lot of people celebrate, but I could not get into. And oh, I tried. Really? I didn't know you didn't like it. Okay, that's good. That's yeah. worth knowing. It was one of those movies that, like, it was just too much on, like, the back end. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, like, the whole, like, I don't know, the legislation of it all. Like, okay, I get that. Like, but also, this was the one that felt like the meetings where they were talking about how they're going to take Godzilla down and stuff like that felt awesome that like, it didn't feel just like boring conversation. You know what I mean? It felt like, yo, they're, they're trying, like, it felt really cool. And, um, I also think that like, it really does show the authenticity of Godzilla as both like an awesome force that like people are impressed by, but also like a fearful deity that people are afraid of. And yeah. Well, it doesn't try to make him some kind of hero, which I think yeah, the, the a lot Amer- of Godzilla. Yeah, the 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 legendary stuff, the the American stuff that's out right now, which I enjoy. I like those movies. It mm-hmm. really is trying to be like he's just a dangerous protector. Like he he's a force for destruction, but he's on our side. And this movie, yeah. he is not on our fucking side. No, all. not at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, dude, it was so good. I can definitely see Charles's point about like almost a uh, celebration of like the kamikaze part of world war two of, well, but it, but it is critical of it. Like here's a guy who feels all this shame. And so thus he sees a solution for his shame of not being a kamikaze to then be a kamikaze. And then the movie, mm. I think deconstructs that and maybe suggests that being a kamikaze isn't great. On the other hand, mm. I have heard a few people point out 
it's weird to see a movie that is in some way critical of the Japanese empire that has no acknowledgement of the fact that there were victims of the Japanese empire, right? Like the mm, movie seems yeah. to suggest like, Hey, you know what? We can be Japanese and be proud in being Japanese without being ground up by the imperial machine that demands our sacrifice. Mm. Okay. But it didn't just demand your sacrifice. It demanded yeah, the sacrifice lot, yeah. of millions of Koreans and Chinese people. <laughs> so I think that that's a, that might, that, I don't think it's wrong to say that's a problem. Some might mm. say, well, that's outside the scope of the movie to acknowledge the fact that this imperial machine didn't just destroy the lives of Japanese people. It destroyed the lives of a lot of other people, actually, and was mm. way worse for the area than it was for Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I get that. I, I, I think that's a fair criticism, actually, and it does make me pause a little bit. But also, it's a Godzilla movie. The fact that there's any acknowledgement that maybe the Empire was a bad idea a lot more than I expected, you know what I mean? A lot more than I would think. But that maybe is unfair because that first movie manages to both criticize America's use of the atomic bomb, but also acknowledge that the Japanese government can't be trusted with this anti-oxygen machine, right? And I get that the mm. anti-oxygen machine is ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> but but I, I think it's really tragic that this scientist has hello? to... Hello? Are you there? I'm there. I'm here. Josh? Yeah, yeah, hello. Sorry. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, sorry. Um, yes. It's a real tragic nature of that first movie that he takes himself out. So no one will have this thing. And this movie doesn't quite have that. And I get that that is missing for some people. I still think this movie does a lot that is surprising and good while still also just being a kick ass Godzilla movie. Mm, and yeah. I just want to acknowledge that that's an accomplishment. But I do think, like, for people who maybe are. There are maybe there is maybe an overreaction to the movie, and mm. like I'm not willing to punish this movie because I think some people are overexcited about it. If that right. makes sense, right? My bar, sense, yeah. my bar for politics in the Godzilla movie is pretty fucking low. So like the fact that there was mm. anything about it that was at all, you know, maybe affirming of human life, it was pretty surprising, you know. So whatever, mm. it's it is what it is, you know. I, it's still also exciting and well done, and I think on just a filmmaking level. $15 million, man. This looks so much better than movies that cost $200 million. Yeah. Like, what the fuck agree. are we doing out there that this movie looks so good for only $15 million? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so we did that, and then we followed that up with The Boy and the Heron. Have you seen this yet? So here's the thing. I need to see this so fucking bad, but I need to see it with Suze. Like, I can't abandon her to see it without her. Like, oh, I could, my God. When we're done recording today, I could go to the movies and maybe see it. And the reality is... If I see it without her, she's going to be so sad. So this is like a, we have to schedule it together and it just hasn't worked yet. And like, Suze just doesn't feel my anxiety. Like the fact that I haven't seen it yet physically hurts me. And for for her, she just doesn't feel that. So it's like, oh yeah, we should see that soon. It's like she responds to it like a normal human. And I'm a psychotic who's like, fuck, I can't believe I haven't seen it yet. Is it as amazing as I think it's going to be? Oh my God. It's so good. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. makes me feel like the way I felt when I saw Spirited Away for the first time. Oh my god! Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. It feels like the uh, rural compositive. If Spirited Away is a film about like a city where that stuff happens, this is like what would happen if that didn't happen in a city, like in a forest. That makes sense. And uh, it's it's majestic. It's it's. I mean, I'm not going to get into it with you having not seen it, but I can just say that. I loved it with a capital L. I loved it so much. 
Man, okay. I need to see. Yeah. I mean, I, here's the thing. It, I get that. Um, well, actually, I think everyone's on board with it, right? I, I, mm. I, I think for some people, they might be a little overwhelmed by it, you know? And so, like, I get that. Uh, and I'm excited to see how I feel about it. But, like, I think the, the only thing about it that's negative is that I think people saying, oh, hey, Miyazaki created another amazing masterpiece of animation. It's just not news anymore. Like this man just can't stop, right? Like, like it, it. I what was the meme? I saw a meme that was like Disney. I don't know. Maybe we're out of ideas. Uh, Studio Ghibli. We can't stop this old man from revolutionizing <laughs> animation. We've tried to stop him, but he won't stop. No matter what we do, he keeps making amazing films about death and his childhood. Dude, and it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. There's just so much to it. Oh my god, what a fucking movie, man! Like I can't wait to see it. I'm so excited. Yeah, about it. that should be an episode for sure. After you guys manage to carve out some time to see it, because yeah, 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 it yeah, deserves yeah. and it commands like its own talking like points. You know what I mean? It's so fucking good. But again, I'm not gonna t- I'm not gonna get into it, given that you haven't seen it yet. But I will say, hundred percent necessary to see it in the theater. Hundred yeah. percent necessary yeah, yeah, yeah. to see it in the biggest format that you can. It's lovely. Well, and of course, we've already because of how movies work, we've already missed out on some of that because they made room for fucking Wonka. So now a bunch of IMAX theaters are doing Wonka, and not the Boy and the Heron. Which, like, I get it. I get why economically that's important. But for me, I'm like, God damn it, I couldn't get out the first week, right? Like, I, it just yeah. wasn't going to happen. So, um, real quick, I do want to acknowledge. Uh, I I've been trying to be back on Letterboxd. So if you are curious about how I felt about Rotting in the Sun, El Conde, Fremont, Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret, A Fire, Sanctuary, Kokomo City, Earth Mama, and a lot. Round and Round. I really push myself. Dream Scenario. The holdovers. Oh, we talked about the holdovers, right? Yeah. Did we talk about the? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really went out of my way to try to see a lot of movies recently, uh, which is funny since we haven't been recording. But I, I really tried to catch them either at home or in the theater, and uh, and I liked those were all ones that I really liked. I thought were really great. The mm. big surprise for me being, uh, "Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret." Even though people kept telling me, "Hey, it's surprisingly good. You should give it a chance." Mm. I was a little skeptical going in because I didn't know anything about the book and it just mm. looked like a movie for kids. And it's, it's actually really powerful. I think, I think it's a nice. really great movie. And so if you have the patience for what it is, uh, a coming of age movie about, you know, uh, 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 you know, puberty and stuff, then uh, yeah, it's, it's still, and what's upsetting is that it's a movie about a book written in 1970 <clears throat> set in 1970 in which a few too many of the gender politics and the views on religion are still accurate. In fact, I would say the uptightness of Christians is maybe even worse today than it was in 1970, unfortunately. So, uh, I think it's worth watching. Honestly, I do. I really do. So, uh, uh, that was a big surprise. The other things that I liked, uh, on that list, I kind of knew I might like, and that one I wasn't sure if I would like it. So, uh, but yeah, check out, check those out. I really endorse them. It's, I was really surprised how many things I made time for that didn't suck. So there you go. I really thought I was going to be let down by at least one of those things. And I, and I don't think I was, I don't think I was. So, uh, but this has been a long intro and we got two really good movies to talk about. So we should cut ourselves off, I guess, but you know, right. it's hard. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. Yeah. Hard to do. Hard to do, Liam, especially if I haven't talked to you in a month, but yeah, exactly. After the break, we're going to get into it with two movies. We're going to be talking about Sex, Lies, and Videotape and Saltburn after the break. 
back all right so before the break or maybe during the break not the break just now the break where we didn't record for a month yeah. uh, liam and i were trying to talk about like we you know as per most scheduling and planning uh discussions that we have a lot of shit that we had figured we we're going to be able to do didn't happen which is fine yeah. you know part, what i mean part like of that's part of that scheduling right like we're trying to get yeah. guests on and their mm-hmm. schedules are off and our schedules are off so we had to keep pushing dates with people which was like Partly our fault, but partly their fault. And, you know, yeah. it is what it is, you know. So. It's what it is. No one's mad. It's just like, you know, just kind of just difficult to get these things work sometimes. But then Liam was like, well, we got these movies. What do you think we should do? And I landed on Sex, Lies, and Videotape because I'd never seen it before. Mm-hmm. And I just, again, my opinion of it was that I was like, oh, wait, those are like one of those Skinamax movies, right? Like, No, that was, that's so funny to me. Really? That was what I thought it was. I mean, it's called Sex, Lies, and Videotape. And I don't know. That sounds like a salacious title to me. So I thought it was going to be one of those movies. And um, I'd never seen it before, which is also part of that. So I was like, all right, cool. Let's do this. Around this time, um, Melani had watched Saltburn because a lot of the people that I work with were talking about it. They had all seen it. I remember when it came out at film festival and Scully had watched it, but like, he was like, dude, I just saw Saltburn. So no, I'm not okay. And I was like, what is the deal with this movie? And, um, I didn't know anything about it. And then Melani watched it and she was like, and like, you know, I was writing and I was working on other stuff, but I was in the room while Melani was watching it. And like, there's a lot of moments where Melani's like, holy shit, I don't believe. And I was like, what is even happening right now? Cause I wasn't even checking in. You know what I mean? Like I had my headphones in, I was like doing stuff. And uh, she was like, this movie is fucking crazy. And um, that's when it dawned on me, like maybe these two movies both of which have this salacious nature to them uh, should be combined in one episode, which is when we made the audible to do this episode, right? Of doing both of them at the same time. Funny thing is I've since watched both movies since we made this decision. And yeah, 
neither of them are as salacious as I thought they were going to be. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I understand that for people, I think Saltburn brought in a lot of normies. I don't want to be dismissive. Let's acknowledge that there are a couple of elements of Saltburn that might be over the top, right? That might yes. be a little surprising. That being said, I think some of the people who saw Saltburn are not used to seeing weird shit. And so mm. they were like, well, this movie's so fucked up. And I think for some of us who watch fucked up shit all the time, we went in being like, finally, a, a, a kind of Hollywood movie with fucked up shit in it. And it's like, not that, you know, like not to say that it doesn't have extreme moments, but come on, it's not that crazy. Right. And and I don't mean that as a criticism of the movie. It's just not that crazy. Whereas Sex, Lies, and Videotape, it is very much about sex, lies, and videotape, but it's not a, it's not a, it's not a salacious movie in the way that people might think, right? Right. And honestly, part of that was true at the time. The, if if anyone has watched the trailer for this movie, the trailer is just distant fucking genuous for sex, lies, and videotape. It just, <laughs> it just is. It just is. And I think that, I think it's been around long enough that I went into this movie knowing it wasn't going to be, uh, a movie that was like full of tits and stuff, you know, if that's mm. or full of dicks, you know, like that's just not what it is. <laughs> uh, but I was a bit surprised at how restrained it is. It's a very restrained movie. It's a talky talky movie. In fact, yeah. we talked about this a little bit before recording. It's a movie that Soderbergh has talked about moving the camera around a lot because he didn't want people to be bored watching it. Right now for me, which is, it's a very compelling movie, despite yeah, being I don't a talky-talky. Yeah, I don't think it's boring at all. And if someone told me it was boring, I might think that they have attention span issues. But I understand <laughs> what he means, and that people might see this movie thinking, oh, yeah, oh, fuck, yeah, it's going to be full of horny shit. And it's <laughs> not that. Now, that's not to say that James Spader is not horny in this movie. He is a Very horny, horny. yes. Right, but it's not a movie I think that is giving you like exploitation levels of, of stuff. That's not what this movie is. Saltborn, on the other hand, I think people went in expecting spectacle. And while there is a lot of visual stimulation, it's not a movie that is pushing the envelope. If you are used to movies that push the envelope, right? It's not mm. an edge Lord movie. I don't think the only part of it. I think that is asking a lot is it's asking you to pay attention. It's asking you to, pick up on its allegory, which I think a lot of people missed on. And it's mm. asking for you to see what's happening without trying to identify with these rich people because these rich yeah. people suck just because mm. they're the victims doesn't make them sympathetic. And I think yeah, that it doesn't exonerate like, them, nor yeah. does it like paint a different picture. It's very clearly a class movie. Oh yeah. But it's not a class movie in that it has, deep insights on the class struggle because I think people keep thinking that Oliver is who he pretends to be. And the movie I think mm. goes out of its way to say, Oliver is lying. He is not that person. You know, he's not yeah. royalty, but he's not a poor person. He's not oppressed in any way. He doesn't yeah, suffer. Yeah. He is a normal fucking dude who is lying. Well, okay, we'll get into all of that. I don't want to shoot our load first thing. Let, <laughs> let's go ahead. We I don't want someone to be slurping up our bathwater prematurely here. <laughs> so let's go ahead and say, how do you want to start, Josh? We should focus on one movie before we compare them. Do you well, want to start with Saltburn or do you want to start with Sex, Lies, and Videotape? Let's start with Sex, Lies, and Videotape because that was the beginning of the episode that right, we had right. started with, all right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, we, and neither one of us saw this before this viewing right we, i had never seen it you had never seen it i think i knew a little bit more about it than you which is why i bought it when criterion put it out i bought the blu-ray but i had not had a chance to watch it yet 
Uh, I knew it was Soderbergh. Are you, uh, let's start uh, before we get into just the movie itself. Are you a Soderbergh fan? How do you feel about Steven Soderbergh? As a I am a Steven Soderbergh fan. Okay. I like him in the same way that I like a Sidney Lumet. You know what I mean? Like okay. I like yeah, him yeah, yeah, in yeah. the same yeah, yeah, way. Yeah. I mean like, okay, like, come on Titanic. Like, yeah, I, I get it. I seen it. You know what I mean? Aaron Brockovich. Okay. Yeah. 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 But, uh, I mean, I think overall I appreciate. Wait, did you just directing. say Titanic as a Soderbergh movie? Well, he was, uh, didn't he? Pre- oh no, not Titanic. I'm sorry. Traffic. Traffic. Is traffic. a right. Soderbergh? That's actually, I don't know. Is that a Soderbergh movie? I don't actually know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I believe he directed Traffic, didn't he? I'm yeah. looking it up right now because I don't know. But go for it. Keep talking. But I mean, like, I kind of like, I really appreciate his dialogue. I feel yeah. as though, like. Oh, you're right. It his, is Soderbergh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His gift with writing is very much the, again, I really love a Sidney Lumet. You know, I really love a Mammoth. So, like, having this kind of, like, dialogue in a movie that was, like, roundly cited as like the template for indie filmmaking you know sure it had a big influence in fact i i watched a video of uh miranda july talking about the deep deep impact this movie had on her before i watched the video i was like fuck really miranda july then i watched it and went of course of course it did yeah uh sex is something she deals with uh, people's mm-hmm. inability to be honest about who they are is something she deals with. And she works in videotape. I mean, she straight up talks about in the video yeah. about how Soderbergh, uh, his obsession with videotape in this movie as a aesthetic, right? As an aesthetic mm. medium was a huge influence on her. Duh. Of course yeah. it was. I don't know why I, know. I was surprised by that, but it, it, it makes sense. I mean, sense. just watch, watch Yumi and everyone else and do that as a double feature with this movie. Mm-hmm. And the, the footprints are very clear in a lot of Miranda July's output. You know what I mean? Like, and I love Miranda July, but I also recognize that, yo man, like this movie crawled so she could fly. You know what I mean? Like, I get that. This is where like, I, I just, I love, I love Soderbergh. I think the problem people have with Soderbergh is that I think his filmography is actually quite diverse, right? Mm. If you were to sit someone down and only show them sex, lies and videotape, right? Mm. Out of sight. Right. And then Che one and two, they would not believe you that this was the same director. Then if you throw at them something like fucking, um, sorry, I'm I'm burping here. I apologize to everyone. (laughs) Um, uh, uh, a high flying bird and Logan lucky, let Mm. alone Solaris, you know? Yeah. Or fucking unsane. Like my man has just, even though he makes some real Hollywood movies, this is, this is the man who made oceans 11 and oceans 12. Right. Like, right. Um, this is the man who made traffic, right? But like Eros is a different kind of movie, right? It's different yeah. than these other things. Or going back earlier in his career, uh, I'm trying to find it because I forget the exact name of it. Uh, no, not that one. Okay, I can't find the one I'm thinking of. Uh, it's the one that has the really crazy name and i i can't find it so let's i'm I'm distracting us from the topic here but he's he's tried a lot of different things while still being an essentially hollywood director at times right, right. aaron brockovich uh fucking um the ocean movies or even i'm trying to to say uh uh the girlfriend experience right um it, he's done a lot of different variety of things that i think uh when someone tries to say Steven Soderbergh is blank. It's hard to say that. And he's done things that people hate. People, for good reason, hate the informant. 
right? Mm. People for good reason hate Haywire, though I'll tell you what, I fucking love Haywire. <laughs> I, I understand that people don't like it. I actually love that movie. Uh, but because I think he's tried so many different things and some of them have been unbelievably successful, I mm. love him. Even though I don't love all the Oceans movies, right? right. Um, I don't love, actually for me, Traffic. I think Traffic is good, but I don't mm. love it. Or... or well, I do love the Limey, actually, but I definitely prefer the original Solaris to the remake. You know, mm, I understand yeah. why some people love the remake, but it's not for me per se, um, though. I don't hate it either. I just, you know, it's it's remaking an amazing movie. But I think anyone who wants to say um, Magic Mike isn't good, I think hasn't fucking seen <laughs> yeah. Magic Mike. Have not watched Magic Mike, clearly. In my that's my opinion. But yeah, I don't I don't think they've fucking seen it, you know, or. Mm. I really not everyone did, but I really loved Let Them All Talk, his weird QE2 movie. You know that one? Have you did you see mm, that? No, I've not seen that one. I fucking I thought it was really good. I didn't see the laundromat though. Whatever. I don't want to get into the weeds here. <laughs> he's had some real wins and he's had some real misses for some people. Um, and I think since he started fo- fo- filming exclusively on an iPhone, that's been a bit of a turnoff for people. But mm. Those movies are great, you know, and, you yeah. know, I, anyways, there's a lot there that some, uh, I want to defend filming on an iPhone, by the way, because I love Tangerine, right? Right. Right. So anyways, um, all that is to say, this is his beginning. Sex, Lies, and Videotape was his, it wasn't his first movie, but it mm. was his breakout. He won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. He yeah. won Best Screenplay at the Oscars, I think deservedly. And I think this is a movie where if someone wants to understand what horny James Spader is all about, <laughs> this is the fucking ur text for me of James Spader with his sexy mullet and his unbuttoned <laughs> shirts. And even though this is a movie where he is, um, he's impotent in this movie. He's a man right. who can't have sex in person. He is unable to be in the presence of someone and to come. And yet uh, this is him just exuding sexuality and really being sexy in a way by being honest, which you would not expect. Right. We Mm. often associate sexuality with pretense, with uh, lies, with being false, with pretending and putting on a, a persona. And somehow when he is unable to lie and he is fully revealed and vulnerable, it makes him more sexy in this movie, even if <laughs> even if he's a bit weird. He's a bit uncomfortable in the film. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, he's very soft boy in the movie. <laughs> what okay, t- let's get into a little bit. What did you think of the story? What did you think of the performances? Get get into a little bit of the movie itself. Again, so with this movie, my only idea about it was that it was one of those Skinamax movies from when I was a kid that would play at night. You know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, that fucking movie. And uh, I had no idea that it wasn't that, that it was like a heavily talky-talky kind of movie. Didn't know. So going into this, uh, I watched it with Melani, and uh, I was like, all right, here we go, babe, hoarder time. And uh, it's not that horny. Um, I definitely think that um, the the dude, Peter Gallagher, who played the John character in the movie, the yes, husband, yes. he is so unlikable. So unlikable. The fact that the idea that him and James Spader would have been friends in college or much less been in the same fraternity was like, 
get out of town. You know what I mean? Like, I get it. It's nine years removed. Okay, so basically the story is this. Um, there's Andy McDowell is married to, um, what's his to uh, Peter Gallagher, and they have a sexless marriage, right? It begins it did, with... It didn't begin that way, but it is it that now. It didn't begin now. that way, but it has now progressed after them being together for X amount of years to this point where she doesn't like it when he touches her. And then in the first couple like sequences, you recognize that he is actually cheating on her with her sister, played by Laura, Jan- Laura San Giacomo. And um, and side note, Laura Sandricoma is very sexy in the movie. She's very attractive in the movie. This is maybe one of her uh, very uh, 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 alluring performances. But I feel like from the beginning, he's only chosen her maybe as a way to hurt his wife, even though he doesn't want his wife to know, right? Because there's got to be other women in this fucking town. Why has it got to be her sister? He can't sleep with somebody else? There's something about it that feels vengeful and he's for like both a, of them. He's a junior partner in a well-to-do law firm. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like yeah, he's, yeah. he's going places. And uh, just the sequence where he's like spinning his wedding ring and talking to his homie about being like, well, once I got the ring on my finger, women of all oh, types God, are now coming so and presenting gross. this. Thing. It's so skeevy. And it's just like it. I mean, it's very effective in painting that picture. Right. And then you introduce his friend from college who's coming to stay because he's only got one key to his car and that's it. And he's like this loose cannon rogue dude uh, in the in the form of James Spader, who's like catching a shave in a gas station bathroom and like wears black shirts like that's a crazy thing. And um, James Spader comes and stays with them for a little bit because he's uh, starting over. You, you kind of find after like a uh, breakup from another person that he has he's has a relationship with and he he comes to stay with them to get like just while he gets on his feet right that's sure that's yeah that's fair happens. yeah yeah basically and so while he's staying with them he becomes friends with andy mcdowell and um you know she becomes i don't know if she's like tight with him but she accepts him even though like him being there is also a point of contention for a little bit between well, he, her and he he uh he because he was formerly a pathological liar he is mm. forcing himself to be honest. And the way that he does that is he just sort of lays himself bare and he says things that it, they're not just honest, they're like exposing. And Andy McDowell, on the other hand, is almost too naive to know that what she says is like not great, you know, that it, that she mm. should be embarrassed by what she says. And it's almost like his honesty and her naivete sort of make them be immediately vulnerable with each other. And that forms a weird friendship that can't help but implode, but leads to maybe something more to a kind of relationship Mm. that is beyond a friendship. If that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. 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 And, uh, okay. So, so that's basically it. This is a melodrama. This is a movie. Uh, and like, so then you also kind of find that James Spader, uh, his thing is that he takes videos of ladies expressing their sexual pasts and like their desires and wants. And, um, you know, this is his thing. <laughs> it's like, okay. It's the That's only way thing. he can experience sexual pleasure in, in some way. And that seems to be about his abuse of nature that he is. I, I say abusive. It's, it's more like manipulative, right? That he, he yeah. is so addicted to lying and to sex that he has, just lived as a very awful human, which, by the way, seems to be the basis of, of his friendship with Peter Gallagher, right? That, of like, that yeah, that, it was based in this horrible man right, phase yes, 100%. that he was going through. Yeah. 
Um, and so he's trying to get better. And I, I, you know, you could see that throughout the movie. Like I thought James Spader was really good. Let's put that out there first. Uh, the Daryl Hall hairstyle, notwithstanding of the time of the time. Um, I definitely thought it was really funny about how like soft spoken he is throughout the entire movie. It almost seems like super purposeful, like that. He doesn't yeah. normally talk that way. Yeah. 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 yeah, um, yeah. And uh, I'm here for it. You know what I mean? Because, like, he's definitely the the Veronica to um, the other guy's Betty or the, the other way around. Right. Like, right. Yes, he, yes, yes, he's yes. the he's like the lighter version of that dude who's like super gross and just like very like forceful with the way he talks. And, you know, he just obviously well, they both have the same like addiction to sex, but he's a lot more like um I don't know, vicious with it. Well, it feels like they're both broken in some sense, right? Um, yes, for but, sure. But uh, the Peter the Peter uh, Gallagher character, is that right? Gallagher or Garfield? Yeah, Peter Gallagher. Gallagher. He is, um, he's broken in a way that society allows and maybe even encourages. And mm. what, what James Spader maybe realizes is that he went past that point. And so he had to find some kind of healing. And he's not a hero because the movie eventually makes it clear that he's still not quite being honest with himself. Like he says something about how his issue is his issue and not anyone else's. Well, that's not true by just being Mm. himself. He ruins their marriage. Now you could say, and I think the movie wants to suggest the marriage wasn't so great in the first place, but it it is a, it is a dysfunction that is functioning. If that makes sense, you know, like people say that there are certain kind of alcoholics that are functional alcoholics. There is a central lie to their lives, but it works, you know, their Mm, life though unhealthy, it's sort of working and the chaos of him destroys that. But it destroys mm. it maybe in a way that leads to something better, right? It leads or to something at least leads to an improvement in the way things are. Exactly, exactly. And so I think the movie, I think in that it achieves something that a lot of films can't. A lot of films need someone to be really bad and someone to be really good. Right. And there can be some flaws, but in the end, there has to be a moral judgment. This movie is unwilling to have a full moral judgment, right? True. There's for there any are, of the characters. For any, any of, of the characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm willing to to make a moral judgment. The movie doesn't on Peter Gallagher, but the movie uh-huh. isn't fully invested in making him a villain. It shows how he is broken and how, yeah. in the end, even when he is exposed to himself, he has to hurt James Spader. He has to right. leave the movie hurting James Spader, but. He also has aspects of what he's doing that you understand, especially when you understand fully Andy McDowell's detachment from sex and sexuality. There's something wrong with her, right? Mm. Even as you are sympathetic to her because she is being cheated on by this awful man and hurt by her sister, her insistence on sex being broken, I think, is why her sister is the way she is. That Mm. somehow their relationship to their parents has meant she is the perfect girl little girl and her sister is rebelling for wild no reason. card yeah, yeah and yeah, and yeah. not doing it as an affirmation of herself she wants to know that she's better than her sister and mm. it is pathological it is right. pathological but it doesn't make me hate her it doesn't make me despise her i should say oh you're just doing this to hurt your sister and be mad about it but actually i feel sympathy for her and i feel compassion for what's happening with her agreed even as i see her she's only with this man because somehow hurting her sister turns her on a little bit. It, it mm. makes her feel more sexy. But in the end, it makes her feel 
not good either. And she cuts yeah. off this relationship because it's unhealthy. It's so toxic in what it is, you know? If anything, that's the only moment of exoneration in this entire movie when they reconcile at the end. And uh, it's very interesting to, I mean, like, also that dude at the bar, you know who that guy is? No. He wrote Little Nicky. <laughs> He's in a lot of, really? like, Adam Sandler movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. He wrote, like, a bunch of movies that, like, because Milani was like, yeah, that guy's familiar. And That's famously, I don't know, I don't know if uh, listeners remember, but Milani's favorite movie of all time is Little Nicky. Oh, right. And, yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, it was, like, one of those, like, hey, don't we? But he's been in, like, a lot of, like, bit parts for Adam Sandler movies and stuff like that. Like, sure. he's part of yeah, that yeah, camp. Yeah, yeah. So it was really funny that she clocked him. But, I mean, like, it's telling that that's the only moment of reconciliation in this entire movie. That the rest of the issues that we've addressed in the movie are gone. Like, she's in therapy. Yeah. But none of them are resolved by the end of the movie except for the toxic marriage and her relationship with the sister. Well, I think there's a suggestion that um, they've both also figured out that they can come together maybe, right? There's one of the most intense sex scenes is the one we don't see, like that ends with them touching each other and how they can be vulnerable. And the movie never lets us know, right? It's actually... The the, the 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 limits of voyeurism is whether they actually come together or not. But when we see them at the end of the movie, there's a suggestion that there is some peace that they have found together. And it's not romantic, right? We don't know that they love each other, but their yeah. brokenness has somewhat fit Galvanized together. Them. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very interesting. And that's the whole thing, right? Like, th- this movie was entirely about sex without any sex in the movie except for between... Uh, Laura San Jacoma and Peter Gallagher. Well, even like, then, we don't see them really. We we see her come, but mm. also it's not like that salacious. It's more about their the 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 fulfillment that they feel, but also they can't connect. Like yeah, the way I saw someone put it in something I was reading was the two people who are quote unquote normal sexually in that they just have sex are incapable of emotional connection. They they are not connected in any way, even mm. as they focus on each other and they even sexualize each other they emotionally are still not hostile they're they're almost hostile to each other it is their animosity that makes them fuck in some way you know Mm, mm, interesting but yeah no it's it's a really compelling movie for for a movie and i mean like again like the whole like well we had to move the camera around to make sure that like people aren't bored it's also like yo did you read this thing like this thing is incredible well, like, and, and I watched a video where someone talks about he when you read the original script, there's mm-hmm. a lot of shit he cut out of it. There's a lot of editing. Oh. And I think that that reveals a brilliant filmmaker, right? Because yeah. the, the script as prevent, presented on screen is fucking unbelievable. It's just an unbelievable movie to me in, in that sense. I get that for some folks, there's maybe not as much artistry in the filmmaking, but I don't think so. You know what I mean? Like, I think there are people who want a little bit more. And mm. to me, that is not true. Right. Like, I want to acknowledge that point because that's how my brain works while mm. disagreeing with it vehemently. This is a beautiful <laughs> movie. Right. I think it's yeah. beautiful. I think it looks amazing. It is. It's not showy. It is a kind of restraint in the camera work and in mm. the script. It, it veers away from the extremes that it could go to. And yet it still tells its story in a way that is 
exciting. It's it's a weirdly exciting movie for what is a very slow talky talky movie, if that makes sense. Yeah. And also for a movie that came out in 89 at the height of like toxic masculinity and gender binaries and stuff like that. This movie is very respectful towards everybody's agency. And um, I felt as though, like you said, that it's a really judgment free kind of movie. It really doesn't yeah. get into like the weird reads of sexual politic of the time or even now. Right. You know what yeah, I mean? Because yeah, yeah. like what it is is a story about three broken people. And yeah. that's what is compelling about it. Well, and I think it's a movie that is in a surprising way about its title. It is a movie about sex and often about the brokenness of sex and the performance of sex and how any, you know, Andy McDowell's character can't even talk like she's had sex she's not a virgin yeah right mm. but she can't talk about it she can't live with it she can't acknowledge her own sexuality and in some ways the break between her and her husband might have come about because she is continually waiting for him to seduce her she cannot initiate sex that is not mm. how sex works for her and so there's an acknowledgement that when something broke in their relationship it broke with her as well it doesn't exonerate him of being a lying monster, right? Mm -hmm. But maybe part of his his uh his, hideousness is yeah. pushed to. Well, I would yeah. say his his uh his being predatory is how she's learned to experience sex. She needs someone to come at her. And the fact that in the film she seduces Spader is finally mm -hmm. her acknowledging in some way her own sexuality, maybe. Maybe not, right. but I think that that no, could be definitely that could be a reading of it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. It's about lies, obviously, because it's the lies that we're all telling ourselves, and that James Spader, even in his radical honesty, is not fully honest with himself because he's not honest with himself that in doing what he's doing, he is bringing chaos. He, it's not just mm -hmm. about him, and he wants to tell himself it's just about him. Well, it's not about him. It's not about you when your whole sexuality is voyeurism and having people expose <laughs> themselves on camera. And it is about videotape, right? In a world yeah. where everyone is filming each other on our phones, what he's doing is not that weird, right? Yeah. But but mm. in this world, at the time where this movie was made, videotape was a new technology that had its own aesthetic, it had its own culture, and it had its mm. own reality. And I think the videotape aspect of this movie inspired a lot of people to pursue videotape as an art form. It really did. Agreed. It was yeah. It mm -hmm. had an impact on the world of art. Just by being even about just videotape. like even the close up of the videotape being played on the TV, the yeah. close up of yes. the TV is such like you could as as that scene happened while Peter Gallagher is watching the video, or, or no, it happens like a little bit before that, right? It's so uh, compelling to me in the sense that like it really did that for the first time. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. After, like there would be no such thing as like found footage and stuff without this movie. You know what I mean? Like of like the medium being the whole purveyance of the story. Like it's really interesting to me that Soderbergh had this as his idea and part of his obsession. And this is what called that into being. Does well, that make sense? Yes. And I think that it is reflected in his later work in what I think comes across as an interest in formats. Right. Mm. That he makes movies and sometimes those movies play with narrative and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're standard narrative, but he is on and off interested in formats in film and then digital and how they both function and what he can accomplish by using now just a phone. 
He's just him mm. holding a fucking phone. And that some <laughs> of these movies that he makes, just him and a phone, are fucking incredible, right? Some of them are very yeah. standard. Uh, some of them are very standard. They accomplish just Hollywood normality. And some of them do something you wouldn't expect. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that that is partly why he's such an interesting filmmaker, even if all of his movies don't work. If someone wants to say, I think Logan Lucky sucks, I'm not okay. offended by that. But yeah, I like I it, it, and I think it's fun. Um, but not everything he does is about having fun, obviously. And this is mm. one of those movies that it accomplishes a lot while still working as a movie, you know? Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Overall, great pick. Awesome that we watched it. Um, again, I think it's funny that I, I was convinced that this is going to be like a De Palma movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I thought that this was going to be like one of those. And uh, it was not. So, you know. That's cool. I also think it's funny that when James Spader started talking, I said to Melania that he was the Bell and Sebastian fan at the KMFDM show. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's the, the analogy still holds true. Well, I was struck by how his look is so of a time. And a yeah. few years ago, if we had covered this movie, I would have made fun of him and how he looks. And now when it came on and Suze walked in while I was watching it, I said, look, James Spader is hip because <laughs> how he looks now is what people are into. Like, literally, his outfit is fashion inspiration. His hair. Like, in fact, <laughs> dude, I saw I saw a TikTok the other day of a barber in England saying, hey, guys, this mullet, and she's showing both the old mullet of, like, she was, she was actually showing um, uh, George Michael. She's like, uh-huh. this mullet, that was last year. If you still have this mullet, it's time to move on because that's no longer cool. I didn't know it was cool in the first place. What? She wants us yeah. to move on from the James Spader and Sex Lies videotape mullet. And I didn't even know it was cool. But that's what that mean, was last year, dude. That was 2023. <laughs> She's like, if you have this mullet, grow it out even more and then shave the sides into something more psychotic. What the Whoa. fuck? That's what she was endorsing. It's dude. It's so funny how much of a point that Peter Gallagher makes about his shirt yeah. at the first sequence when they're mm-hmm. having dinner in this movie. And it's just like, you're talking to man for wearing a black shirt word. You know what I mean? Like he's like, he's dressed like an undertaker or something. It's like dog. He <laughs> he's wearing black. What this you know, I mean, is, I don't know. From his haircut to fucking Andy McDowell's bows in her hair. Those oh my fucking God. bows. So oh good. my God. It's, Everything about this movie is of a time, and yet that a lot of that time has come back. I think if you are, I don't think we have any actual Gen Z listeners, but if we do, maybe Paige. <laughs> I think Paige is Gen Z. But anyone who does find our podcast who is of an age and is interested in fashion, watch this movie and see if it doesn't feel like what a lot of people are rocking today, uh, 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 unironically, uh, is what people were wearing when they were filming Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Right, right. Anyways, it's a great movie. You should watch it if you haven't yet. So let's transition to Saltburn. I want to know what you thought of Saltburn and if you think it still fits in any ways with this movie. Well, after watching Sex, Lies, and Videotape and doing the comparative to Saltburn, I kind of feel like the talented Mr. Ripley would have been the appropriate anachronistic comparison counterpoint. I know, but everyone keeps talking about that movie, and I I think that is also an unfair comparison. But you're right. It is mm. a deep. It is not an unfair comparison to Talented Mr. Ripley, but Talented Mr. Ripley isn't fucking funny, man. It makes me yeah. uncomfortable. That movie. It makes me it, real unhappy in my heart. This movie is one hundred percent camp, and I, I I contend that 
just like sex lies and videotape in my perspective thereof up until this viewing, I thought that this was going to be like another like orgiastic, like society style fucking movie. And sure. it was not, yeah. no, nope. it was not that. Yeah. But it nauseated me to the same level that society did. Sure. Well, so take that. Well, and I think both those movies are funny, but I think this movie gets at its humor in a way that society doesn't. And I think that, I think this is also a takedown of the 1%. It is, yeah. but it's not, society has a hero, right? The kid right. who is unwilling to join the goopy aliens or whatever they are <laughs> that, yeah. that are the rulers of the world, he is a hero. You should, you feel sympathy for him. He has his own yeah. issues, but you feel, uh, Oliver is a fucking predator, but he's a predator who's made a decision when he is, I think it's really telling that Oliver and the staff don't get along. They right. see each other in a way and they judge each other. They should see each other as allies, right? Because they're both yeah. lower Fighting than these on the people. same side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in reality, the staff see their role and they say, look, we are going to serve these people, but we're never going to be these people. And they see Oliver and they think, man, you're never going to be trying to be these. You're people, never going to yeah. be one of these people. You can never do it. And Oliver's like, Oh, I can. I just have to crush every aspect of my own humanity. By the end of the movie, someone compared it to, and this is a hard comparison because I think all of us want to be sympathetic to witches, you know, and let's say this mm -hmm. is a pro-witch podcast. I'm not against right. witches. Don't take this the wrong way. <laughs> but in a certain narrative that's anti-witches, the end of a, the end of a movie where the witches are dancing in the forest because they've given themselves to Satan is supposed uh -huh. to be negative. It's not supposed to be celebratory for most people. Right. I, I would argue at the end of the witch it is celebratory because uh, uh, Robert yeah. Eggers hates these fucking these fucking Puritans. And he's like, yeah. better to be in the woods with the witches than with these fucking puritanical jerk-offs. But in this movie, when Oliver's dancing around, it is funny, but it's also tragic, right? He's become a monster. He is a full-on monster. He has given himself yeah. to the evil. And he's done it better than these people because – I think uh, so. There's a few references in the movie. There's a references to the Minotaur, right? Right. And for people who don't remember, the story of the Minotaur is not just the guy going into the into the labyrinth. It's the story before no. that of, of a Ariadne, rich person who's a, trapped. Yeah. yeah. A, a, well, of a rich person who values his bull so much that he won't sacrifice his bull to to the to the gods, and thus the gods curse him with this Minotaur, and now he must sacrifice people to this Minotaur. Which the, I think we miss that aspect of it. The reason the Minotaur exists is because this rich guy's like, I could kill my bull to sacrifice the gods, but I like the bull too much, so fuck you. And the <laughs> gods are like, cool, then your wife is going to fuck this bull and have this monstrous baby, right? That's the story. Right. That's part of it. The other part of it is a Midsummer Night's Dream, right? Like in the party, uh, she dresses like Titania for a reason, but she's not right. really Titania. In a sense, these rich people are playing towards the fae, towards the to the, towards the gods, and they're falling mm. short like the actors. They're a cheap representation. And Oliver knows it. He's not he's in love with them, but he's in love with what they represent. He doesn't actually love these people. Anybody. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when he consumes their bodily fluids, it's like a sacrifice. He's consuming them. When he fucks the grave in the movie, oh, spoilers, by the way. But when he fucks <laughs> the graves, he doesn't love them. He loves what they represent, and he consumes them like a spider, right? right. He consumes them like a monster. And then people go, I keep seeing people who hate this movie because they're like, it's criticizing the poor because he's a poor person who wants to be like the rich. No, he's not poor guys. He's not average either. He's, he's a monster. He's an anomaly. Yeah. And he, he is an upper middle-class person who wants to be 
the elite so bad that he fucking demeans himself in every way. He demeans who he is. He becomes a lying piece of shit in order to join them. And guess what? There is no message to the movie other than the inclination that if any normal person wants to be these motherfuckers, they would have to be this level of monster. And guess what? They exist. There are yeah. there's someone walking around right now telling people that he's a self-made man. I'm a self-made man. That's how I joined the upper class. They had to guaranteed be this level of monster to succeed at that level. If they are right. truly part of the upper 0.1%, then they're a fucking inhuman monster. And the, it's not that these rich people aren't inhuman monsters. They are, but they're stupid because they they've lost the predator instinct because they didn't they don't need it anymore. They're so yeah, protected because they've achieved. Yeah. Yeah, they're so protected that they think Oliver is below them and he is below them, but he's willing to do whatever it takes to win. And they don't see it. And that is <clears throat> funny. It's supposed to be funny. Yeah. It's supposed to be a funny movie. Now, if someone wants to say I acknowledge all that and I didn't like it, that's okay. I do think the few people who see what this movie is about are saying it's a perfect film or saying it's like brilliant. I got to be honest, Josh. I didn't think it was brilliant. I had fun with it. It's a good time, but mm. it's not sexualized and videotaped. That's for goddamn sure. No, for sure. It's definitely, there's definitely a huge chasm between both of the Furies in these movies. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say that this movie does a thing that hasn't been done in a long time, which is it really does take aim at yes. this class warfare yes. and shows like, you know, like it's about class while still yeah. being horrific. Yeah, it's genius. I agree. I agree. In as much as like, when was the last time you saw a movie that was about that? You know what I mean? That that was carried out so economically, you know uh-huh. what I mean? Uh-huh. And so visually. Well, and it it reminds us that these people are not aspirational. And I I love like I'll I'll hold up as a as a counterpoint succession, right? I love succession, mm. actually. I'm pro yeah. succession. But I think when people criticize succession because even as it makes fun of these people, it's not fully demeaning them as much as it could. I agree. Mm. I agree. I think, I think the end of the, sh- of the series does finally show us that these people are failures and they should not have your sympathy because they're mm. fucking monsters. And I, love, yeah. and I love that it does that. But you could watch that show and not figure it out. I think mm. people are being willfully ignorant if they think that this movie glorifies these people. These people are stupid idiots who suck at everything. They are bad. Yeah. They are bad people. And their kids are trying to not be as bad as their parents, but they can't get but there. They're In still the end, bad people. Yeah, they're yeah, still yeah, yeah. bad people. They are broken and they are monsters. And they just use the people around them whether they want to or not. That's what they do. They are mm. using people. And, you know, in the end, if someone wants to say, like, well, it's not a perfect Marxist representation of whatever, that's fine. No. Yeah, that's true. But I do think it handles class in a way. And it reminds us that the people who are, if you are aspiring to be like these shit holes, and in the in the time period this movie is set, which is what, 2006, 2007? Yeah, 2007. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah then you are aspiring to be. And in 2007, people were aspiring to be like these kinds of jerk offs. That was like the height of like fetishizing rich people and their bullshit. Yeah, of Trumpism. And it, like that's what has given rise to what we have today, which is like this weird quasi like just elitist racism. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even. Yeah. It, this well, well, whatever. Well, 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 Trump is a Trump brought about the pot like the the conservative worship of the rich led to this tr- Trump populism, which is, again, still serving the rich, but pretends to be about down home values. This was like an elitist like the Bush era was very much about I want to be with with 
heiresses in a club listening mm. to shitty club music and doing coke. Like that was right. a vibe of this era. And <laughs> this shows that these people are terrible people. They are terrible people. I mean, it is it is really a, a gross thing. And it is, it is I, I think, an allegory for a certain kind of uh, a hunger and desire to control and own. And that is the one thing it has in relationship. I think sex lies and videotape is also about desire, but in the end it's about a corrupted desire. It is about a desire that in the movie, whether you're James Spader or uh, Andy McDowell or Peter Gallagher, your desire has to be bad. All these people think sexuality only works if it's bad. If it's gross, mm. Andy McDowell doesn't want sex because it's bad. Uh, Jane Spader has given up a, a direct sex because it's bad. Peter Gallagher and even Laura, the, the, the sister only value sex when it's made dirty and nasty. Like that's when sex is good mm. is when it's nefarious, right? Desire only works if it's bad in this movie. Desire is, is sexual, but it's really about power. It is a combination really of sexuality cost. and power. Yeah. yeah, and the cost of that. And it really, it is, if you want to have this kind of power, even in a sexual way, it is only at the cost of someone else. You're going to sacrifice mm. somebody to have yeah. it. It's true. So that's it's, the only connection. Yeah, that's so it, other, insightful, yeah. Otherwise, that's a they're huge not that connection, similar. though, I yeah, think. It, it, it is, it is. But but I do think that Sex, Lies, and Videotape is, funny enough, a much more hopeful movie than Saltburn. <laughs> 100%. 100%. It real is a humans in castigation. It. Yeah. And it's a damnation, right? Like, it's 100% yeah. like a damnation of an ideal that is corrupted, of a yeah. desire that is antithetical to humanity. The, the only and, human um, beings in Saltburn are the disgusted servants who watch what's yeah. happening with a look of disdain on their faces. They are the only human beings in the movie. And even then they're human beings who have to pretend that they are not rational. Like what are not but- human. Yeah. Yeah. What the Butler does is pretend like what he's viewing makes sense and isn't stupid. He just is consistently yeah. going, yes. Okay. Yes. Whatever you say. Yes. Okay. And you know, he's thinking, what the fuck? Fuck all of this. <laughs> like rich people. And not that he's above it. I'm not saying he's above it, but he is, he is our foil who's going, okay, all right, yes, okay. But he has to do it, right? In order to maintain yeah. his position, he has to just go along with whatever's happening. And play the game. I, I definitely think it's funny also, like, there's so many just, it's funny that you mentioned Eggers in the same breath as, as you mentioned Saltburn, because this movie is shot in the same aspect ratio that The Lighthouse was shot in. Yes. In that 186 yes, 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 or whatever. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, it really does lend itself to this boxed-in sensation while the while the whole movie's playing out of the sense of being trapped by this desire that is corrupted. Yeah. The sense of, like, this dishonesty and this, like, categorically um, aggressive pursuit of a non-human... Um, desire you know what i mean like of a non-normal desire and And, uh, go ahead keep going no i think it's a really interesting analogy in as much as uh, like you compare this to a promising young woman right which is uh, that director emerald um what's her name emerald something it's her first emerald finale yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. i don't know was that her first movie or just her last movie i don't actually know i'll look it up i'm actually unsure i think i think that was her first movie but um 
And and also that was the Carrie Mulligan connection. I was like, what is Carrie Mulligan doing here? Like, cause she's out of all the characters, she's the one that feels the most out of place. And incidentally, she's the one that seems the most human because she's the one the most at the mercy of everybody. Well, and without- she's 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 not as good at pretending, right? No, but, but yeah. But she's yeah, also yeah. funny in that she has that fucking what is the tattoo? The daddy tattoo. Yeah. It's just like not <laughs> subtle at all, but it's really funny. I I that was hilarious to me. But um, yeah, I really think that um the visual palette that um, they pull from to make this movie not only claustrophobic in the sense of the isolation that these people feel as they sit in their towers of glamour, right? Is the fact that like, if you pay attention to this movie, the second, the, the, the top half of the screen is often empty except for the close-up tracking shots. You know what I mean? So like, like the scene when he's fucking the grave at the end, the whole upper part of that movie of the screen is empty. Right. Yes. And it's just the sky. And I, I can't help but think that it happens so much in the movie yeah. that given this redacted aspect ratio that the second half of the screen is often unused. It's such an interesting choice. Yes, I agree. Because I agree. There, it, it made me feel the same way I felt when we watched Ida. Remember, like we talked yeah. about how like maybe yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah. empty second half of the screen is to make room for divinity. Right. To make oh, room for sure. yeah, the, yeah, the concept yeah, yeah. of an overarching justice. Whereas I kind of felt like that was also in this movie, but it was also pointless that it didn't happen. And right. that to me is just like just the overhead shot of the labyrinth. They do a drone shot of the labyrinth. And when they find Felix's body, it's so interesting to look at just visually that. You know, there's a dead body at the at the middle of this entire huge, elaborate and grandiose herbiary. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's so. Yeah. I just thought it was very, very interesting to in my brain when I was watching it. Like, yeah, that shit is fucking incredible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also, I want to shout out my uh, my homegirl Marissa Latour, who I work with at Removery. Um, in as much as she was one of the main uh, movers for me to watch this movie, because again, I this movie happened. It was one of the centerpiece screenings at the film festival this year, and Scully saw it. Friend of the show and former guest Dan Scully saw it, and was like, "Yeah, I'm not the fuck okay. This movie is fucked up." And um, Marissa was the one that was like, yeah, we all saw it. It's fucked up. You got to watch it. And I was like, yeah, because, you know, I do what Marissa tells me to. But also, as I was watching it, there are references to both the Pet Shop Boys and Pulp in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that that was not mentioned to me, I find to be an affront. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. So I'm quite sure Marissa will not listen to this episode, but if she does, you know, dog. You know what's funny about that too is that um, I saw multiple negative reviews of the movie that said the best part of the movie is the pulp reference. And I thought the pulp reference had me dying. Yes. Dude, it was incredible because I've had that very same discussion with other people about a different song. I've had that discussion with someone who um, told me that Skinhead Girl Warrior by Warzone was about her. Which, really? whether or not that's true, I don't know. But that said, it was the same conversation, and it was so funny to hear it in regards to common people of all things. Holy shit. But also, that Rent is the song that yeah. he's singing when yeah, he, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, it's so funny to think that that's 2007, and that song came out in the 80s. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, to me, it made my inner... Um, Britannica nerd do well, backflips. And, and when I first saw it, I, I had fun with it, but it felt a little 
sloppy to me, just the way it was put together. And I think I was being a little hard on it. I will say that the timing is hard only in that there's a couple of songs that play, including I think an MGMT song that I think don't make sense for the time. Like I think the song was off by a little bit, but Mm. I think if you let stuff like that go and don't worry too much about anachronistic stuff, because I don't want to be, I don't want to be like, checking on that too hard you know what i mean like i feel like you want it to be seamless and just happen yeah yeah yeah. not really worry about it so i think stuff like that kind of bothered me the first time i saw it but if you Mm -hmm. let that stuff go i do think there's a lot here that really works and one of the things i think might be hard for people is that um the younger members of this family are Mm -hmm. a little more self-aware and self-critical you know Mm -hmm. and i think people see that as a are seeing that as like a defense like oh, you know, they're not fully delusional rich people. Like, and then they think the movie is like defending them or something. But Mm. like, I don't know that being self-aware exonerates you from- No, no, I don't think it does at all. And so I think that that is partly what the movie is about. And like the idea that like, um, how ready they are to fetishize Oliver if he was actually poor, which he is not. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think there's something about that that's worth thinking about for the movie. But I also think uh, I agree with everyone who thinks that there is more to the movie to be discussed. But mm-hmm. I don't, when people want to say, like, it's the best of the year or anything like that, it just wasn't that for me. It's just a mm-hmm. fun movie that I think is good at what it does. But guess what? That's how I felt about... Um, we just talked about her first and you're right. That was her first uh, promising young woman full yeah. length. She had a short film before that, uh, mm. but it was only like 13 minutes and she's written some other stuff, but uh, that was her first full length movie promising a woman. I felt the same way about, I get why some people found that movie very frustrating. Mm. I liked it, but I don't think it was like best of that year. No, it was just, it's yeah. solid. I think it's solid and I like what she's doing and I want to see more of what she does, but I get like, it's not, the most amazing thing ever or whatever. But I really, I really I, think Saltburn was a lot of fun and I could see myself rewatching it in the future. Just as like a fun thing to, to like get back mm. into, you know, I, I gotta say we have celebrated Barry Keoghan in this movie. Like yeah. dude, yeah, 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 yeah. my man has committed to this role. He is out there in flagrante delecto. Sure. Fucking sure, sure, graves, sure, sure, sure. all this other stuff. But yo, let's talk about Jacob Lordy for a little bit. Oh no, he's um, great. He's so he's good. He's quite good in this movie in as much as he's way better in this movie than he was in Elvis, I thought. Or in Priscilla. Uh, Priscilla. Yeah, Sorry. you didn't like, I, I'll i say I, I've only watched the first 20 minutes of Priscilla. I haven't gotten through it yet. I will finish it. But I remember you saying you didn't like Priscilla that much. And I will say, so far I'm not super impressed by him as Elvis. I do watch um, the show he's on. What is the show he's on? There's a show he's on that I don't remember. Euphoria. Yes, I do watch Euphoria, so I do know him from that. And I like him on Euphoria, but I thought he was incredible in this movie. Yeah, one of the things that Riz brought up to me about this movie is his eyebrow stud. Yeah. (laughs) How, like, that director was like, well, all the bad boys had them at the time. (laughs) It's so funny. It is such a funny addition to a character that I was compelled to just stare at it when it was on screen. Cause it's not on screen for the whole movie. He talks about how he has to take it out when they do dinner and tuxedos and all that shit. It is such a funny character bit that very very strange, but it works. Oh my God. It works so well. And it just really does. I mean, if there's any one thing 
that takes away the monstrosity of this 0.1%. It's that one detail of his character that he has this like uh this one seemingly honest point where he likes this thing and can't get rid of it because of his family. I get it. You know what I mean? And it's the one part that makes me at least uh, more amenable to the Felix character than the other children in the family. Fair. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. But I, but I think that I don't think the movie is trying to convince us that like, that they're, they're like exonerable people. I yeah, get that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I definitely think that that's like a weird moment of humanity and an otherwise monstrous performance. I agree. I agree. I agree. I agree. And I thought that was a really compelling point to put in that movie. Well, <laughs> I gotta say, I'm planning to take a bath after this. So, you know. <laughs> Dude, um, what the no, fuck? I, I, this is this is fun. I'm glad we got to cover these two things. I'm glad I got to talk to you about Saltburn because I feel like I see a lot of people talking about it, and I've tried to engage in some conversations, but I tend to see people either head over heels for it, which I'm kind of like not quite that, or like really hating it. And you know, I'm not trying I'm to not police that. anyone's yeah. feelings. If you hate it, you hate it. That's okay. But some of the commentary on it, I felt like was hostile in a way that I didn't understand about things that I felt like the movie wasn't doing. Like, yeah. Oh, it's a polemic against poor people. What the no. fuck are we like, talking about? See that? Yeah. And and I when I've read stuff that like means. that, I, my thought was like, have we watched the same movie? Cause it doesn't feel like we watch the same movie. Yeah. But on, and, on the other, on the other hand, it's not, it's certainly not in my, I mean, I, you know, I can't get past, past lives, poor things, and across the Spider-Verse. Like those three mm. movies, whenever I start to think about my, the movies for this year, those three are still very big in my brain. And then after mm. that, there's been so many other things. Yeah, that I don't, is so compelling. I, I feel like yeah. if it wasn't for the controversy, Saltburn wouldn't even be in my brain around best movies of the year. It's just everyone keeps talking about it, either in anger or excitement. So it's really present in my brain. But mm. like, I don't know. There's so many great movies that like, I hope people have made an effort to see some of the other things that are out, you know? Agreed. Agreed. All right. Well, that about ties her up and does it. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Hey, sorry we were on a break, but I'm, I'm glad you guys are checking, checking back in with us. I don't think we figured out what we're doing next, but we will try to post. I'd like for people to feel like they can like prepare a little bit. So we'll try to post something on socials when we know what we're doing next. Uh, but Hey, let us know if you like sex, lives and videotape or saltburn saltburn and if you hated either one why why that is let us know we want to hear what yeah, you think hit us up we want to talk so let us know and um again thanks to patreon members for uh for supporting us on the patreon um one of the main things that you can do as a listener to support is just to tell a friend you know rate review and subscribe of course because that is again as i've said the currency that matters to little podcasters such as ourselves but that said if you just tell people that like yo these two dorks are talking about movies and they're kind of funny like yo that helps a whole lot so thank you yep. for the people that have done that and for the people that haven't maybe try it give it a shot you never know give it a go yeah outside of that thank you so much for listening and we will catch you a little bit later on josh alvarez signing off first time in 2024 2024 smoke bomb Boom. do you like spooky movies hair raising tales insightful criticism judgmental hot takes then you're going to love Horror Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Don. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great or maybe not great. <laughs> 
Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.